Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Skylark 3 by E.E. E. Doc Smith. Volume 10, Chapter 12, Flying Visits via Projection. Well, what do we do? asked Seaton as he and Roval entered the laboratory. Tear down this fourth order projector and tackle the big job? I see the lenses here on schedule so we can hop right into it. We shall have further use for this mechanism. We shall need at least one more lens of this dense material, and other scientists also may have need of one or two. Then, too, the new projector must be so large it cannot be erected in this room. As he spoke, Roval seated himself at his control desk and ran his fingers lightly over the keys. The entire wall of the laboratory disappeared. Hundreds of beams of force darted here and there, seizing and working raw material, and in the portal there grew up, to Seton's amazement, a keyboard and panel installation such as the Earthman in his wildest moments had never imagined. Bank upon bank of typewriter-like keys, row upon row of keys, pedals, and stops, resembling somewhat those of the console of a gigantic pipe organ. Panel upon panel of meters, switches, and dials, all arranged about two deeply cushioned chairs and within reach of their occupants. Wow, that looks like the combined mince-pie nightmares of a whole flock of linotype operators, pipe organists, and hard-boiled radio hams, exclaimed Seaton when the installation was complete. Now that you've got that, what are you going to do with it? There is not a control system in Nolamin adequate for the task we face. Since the problem of the projection of rays of the Fifth Order has heretofore been of only academic interest, therefore it becomes necessary to construct such a control. This mechanism will, I am confident, have a sufficiently wide range of application to perform any operation we shall require of it. Sure looks as though it could do almost anything, provided the man behind it knows how to play a tune on it, but... If that rumble seat is for me, you'd better count me out now. I fouled you for about fifteen seconds, then lost you completely. And now I'm sunk without a trace, said Seaton. That, of course, is true. At is a point I was careless enough to overlook. Roval thought for a moment, then got up and crossed the room to his control desk and continued. We shall dismantle the machine and rebuild it at once. No, no, that's way too much work protested Seaton. You've got it about done, haven't you? It's hardly started. Two hundred thousand bands of force must be linked to it, and each in its proper place. It is necessary that you should understand thoroughly every detail of this entire projector, Roval answered. Why? I'm not ashamed to admit I haven't got the brains enough to understand a thing like this. You have sufficient brain capacity. It is merely undeveloped. There are two reasons why you must be familiar with the operation of this mechanism, as you are with the operation of one of your earthly automobiles. The first is that a similar control is to be installed in your new space vessel, since by its use you can attain a perfection of handling impossible by other systems. The second and more important reason is that neither I nor any other man of Nolamin could compel himself by any force of will to direct a ray that would take away the life of any fellow man. 
While Roval was speaking, he reversed his rays, and soon the component parts of the new control had been disassembled and piled in orderly array about the room. Ah, huh. I never thought of that. It's right, too, you Seaton. How are you going to get it into my thick skull with an educator? Exactly, said Roval, and he sent a beam of force after his highly developed educational mechanism. Dials and electrodes were adjusted, connections were established, and the beams and pencils of force began to reconstruct the great central controlling device. But this time, instead of being merely a bewildered spectator, Seaton was an active participant. As each key and meter was wrought and mounted, there were indelibly impressed upon his brain the exact reason for and function of the part. And later, when the control itself was finished, and the seemingly interminable task of connecting it to the output force bands of the transformers had begun, he had a complete understanding of everything with which he was working, and understood all the means by which the ends he had so long desired were to be attained. For to the ancient scientist, the tasks he was then performing were the merest routine to be performed in a reflex fashion, and he devoted most of his attention to transferring from his own brain to that of his young assistant as much of his stupendous knowledge as the smaller brain of the terrestrial was capable of absorbing. More and more rapidly as the work progressed, the mighty flood of knowledge poured into Seton's mind. After an hour or so, when enough connections had been made so that the automatic forces could be directed as to finish the job, Roval and Seaton left the laboratory and went to the living room. As they walked, the educator accompanied them, bored upon his beam of force. "'Your brain is behaving very nicely indeed,' said Roval. "'Much better than I would have thought possible from its size. In fact, it may be possible for me to transfer to you all the knowledge I have which might be of use to you. That is why I took you away from the laboratory. What do you think of the idea? Our psychologists have always maintained that none of us uses more than a minute fraction of the capacity of our brain, Satan replied after a moment's thought. If you think you can give me even a percent of your knowledge without killing me, go at it. I'm all for it. Knowing that you would be, I have already requested Drasnik, first of psychology, to come here. Ah, he has just arrived, answered Roval. And as he spoke, that personage entered the room. When the facts had been set before him, the psychologist nodded his head. That is quite possible, he said with enthusiasm, and I will be only too glad to assist in such an operation. But listen, protested Seaton, you'll probably change my whole personality. Roval's brain is three times as big as mine. Not, not, nothing of the kind, Drasnik reproved him. As you have said, you are only using a minute portion of the active mass of your brain. Same thing is true with us. Many millions of cycles would have to pass before we would be able to fill the brains we have now. Then why are your brains so large? Merely a provision of nature, that no possible accession of knowledge shall find her storehouse too small, replied Drasnik. Ready? All three donned headsets, and a wave of mental force 
swept into Seaton's mind, a wave of such power that the terrestrial's every sense wilted under the impact. He didn't faint. He didn't lose consciousness. He simply lost all control of every nerve and fiber as his entire brain passed into the control of the immense mentality of the first of psychology and became a purely receptive plastic medium upon which to impress the knowledge of the aged physicist. Hour after hour the transfer continued, Seaton lying limp as though lifeless, the two Norlaminians intense and rigid, every faculty concentrated upon the ignorant virgin brain exposed to their gaze. Finally the operation was complete, and Seaton, released from the weird hypnotic grip of that stupendous mind, gasped and shook himself, and writhed his feet. Great cats! he exclaimed, eyes wide with astonishment. I wouldn't have believed there was as much to know in the entire universe as I know now. Thanks, fellas, a million times, but say, did you leave any open spaces for more? I mean, in a way, I seem to know less than I did before. There's so much more to find out. Can I learn anything more, or did you just fill me up to capacity? The psychologist who had been listening to the exuberant youth with undisguised pleasure spoke calmly. The mere fact that you appreciate our comparative ignorance shows that you are still capable of learning. Your capacity to learn is greater than it ever was before, even though the waste space has been reduced. Much to our surprise, Rovald and I gave you all of his knowledge that would be of any use to you, and some of my own, and still, theoretically, you can add to it more than nine times the total of your present knowledge. The psychologist departed, and Rovald and Seaton returned to the laboratory, where the forces were still merrily at work. There was nothing could be done to hasten the connections, and it was late in the following period of labor before they could begin the actual construction of the projector. Once started, however, it progressed with amazing rapidity. Now understanding the system, it did not seem strange to Seaton that he should merely actuate a certain combination of forces when he desired a certain operation performed. Nor did it seem unusual or worthy of comment that one flick of his finger over that switchboard would send a force a distance of hundreds of miles to a factory where other forces were busily at work, to seize a hundred angle bars of transparent purple metal that were to form the backbone of the fifth-order projector. Nor did it seem peculiar that the same force, with no further instruction, should bring these hundred bars back to him in a high loop through the atmosphere, and should deposit them gently in a convenient space near the site of operations, and then should disappear as though it never existed. With tools such as that, it was only a matter of hours before the projector was done, a task that would have required years of planning and building on Earth. 250 feet, it towered above their heads, a tubular network of braced and latticed bars of purple metal, 50 feet in diameter at the base, and tapering smoothly to a diameter of about 10 feet at the top. Built of a metal thousands of times as strong and hard as steel, it was not cumbersome in appearance, and yet was strong enough to be absolutely rigid. Ten enormous supporting forces held the lens of neutronium immovable in the exact center of the upper end. 
at intervals down the shaft, similar forces held variously shaped lenses and prisms formed from zones of force. In the center of the bottom, or floor of the towering structure, was the double controlling system, with a universal visiplate facing each operator. Well, Roval, that's that, remarked Seaton as the last connection was made. Let's say we hop in and give this baby a ride over to the area of experiment. Kasler must have the mounting done, and we've got time enough left in this period to try her out. In a moment, I'm setting the fourth order projector to go out to the dwarf star after an additional supply of neutronium. Seaton, knowing from the data of their first journey that the controls could be set so as to duplicate a feat in every particular without supervision, stepped into his seat in the new controller and pressed a key and spoke. Hey, Dottie, what's on your mind? Nothing much, Dottie's clear voice answered. So you got it done. Can I see it? Sure, sit tight. I'll send a boat after you. As he spoke, Roval's flyer darted into the air and away, and in two minutes it returned, slowing abruptly as it landed. Dorothy stepped out, radiant, and returned Seaton's enthusiastic caresses with an equal fervor before she spoke. Lover, I'm afraid you violated all known speed laws getting me over here. Aren't you afraid of getting pinched? Nope, not here. Besides, I didn't want to keep Roval waiting. We're all ready to go. Hop in here with me. This left hand controls mine. Roval entered the tube and took his place and waved his hand. Seaton's hands swept over the keys and the whole gigantic structure wafted into the air. Still upright, it was borne upon immense rods of force toward the area of experiment, which was soon reached. Covered as the area was with fantastic equipment, there was no doubt as to their destination, for in plain sight dominating all the lesser instruments, there rose a stupendous telescopic mounting with an enormous hollow tube of metallic latticework which could be intended for nothing other than their projector. Approaching it carefully, Seaton deftly landed the projector lengthwise into that hollow receptacle and anchored it into an exact optical axis. Flashing beams of force made short work of welding the two tubes together immovably with angles and lattices of the same purple metal. The terminals of the variable speed motors were attached to the controllers, and everything was in readiness for the first trial. What special instructions do you need to run it, if any? Seaton asked of the first mechanism, who had lifted himself up into the projector. Very little. This motor governs the hour motion. That one to the right ascension. The potentiometers regulate the degree of vernier action. Any ratio is possible, from direct drive up to more than a hundred million complete revolutions of that graduated dial to give you one second of arc. Bloody fun, I'd say. Thanks a lot. Well, where we go, Roval? Any choices? Anywhere you please, son, since this is merely a tryout. Okay, let's hop over and tell Dunark hello. The tube swung around into a line with that distant planet, and Seaton stepped down hard upon a pedal. Instantly they seemed infinite myriads of miles out in space, the green system barely visible as a faint green star behind them. 
Wow, that's fast, exclaimed the pilot ruefully. I overshot about a thousand light years. Let's try this again with lots less power. And he rearranged and reset the dials and meters before him. Adjustment after adjustment and many reductions in power had to be made before the projection ceased leaping millions of miles at a touch. But finally the operators became familiar with the new technique and the ray became manageable. Soon they hovered above what had been Mardinal and saw that all signs of warfare had disappeared. Slowly turning the controls, Seaton flashed the projection over the girdling Osnomium Sea and guided it through the impregnable metal walls of the palace and into the throne room of Roban, where they saw the Emperor, Tarnan the Carbix, and Dunark in close conference. Well, here we are, remarked Seaton. Now we'll put on a little visibility and give the natives a treat. Shh, whispered Dorothy. They'll hear you, Dick. We're intruding shamefully. No, they won't hear us. I haven't heterodyned the audio in on the wave yet. As for intruding, well, that's exactly what we came over here for. He imposed the audio system upon the inconceivably high frequency of their carrier wave and spoke in the Osnomium tongue. Greetings, Roban, Dunark, and Tarnan, from Seton. And all three jumped to their feet amazed, staring about the empty room as Seton went on. I'm not here in person. I'm simply sending you my projection. Just a moment, and I will put on a little more visibility. He brought more forces into play, and the solid images of force appeared in the great hall, images of the three occupants of the controller. Seaton spoke briefly to the point. We've got everything we came after, much more than I had any idea we could get. You need to have no more fear of the fenachrone. We have found a science superior to theirs. But much remains to be done, and we have none too much time. Therefore I have come to you with certain requests. The overlord has but to command, replied Roban. Not command, since we're all working together for a common cause. In the name of that cause, Dunark, I ask you to come to me at once, accompanied by Tarnan and any others you may select. You will be piloted by a ray which we shall set upon your controls. Upon your way here, you will visit the first city of Desur, another planet where you will pick up Sakner Karfon, who will be awaiting you there. As you direct, so it shall be. And Seton flashed the projector to the neighboring planet of Irvania. There he found that the gigantic space cruiser he had ordered had been completed, and requested Irvon and his commander-in-chief to tow it to Norlamin, piloted by a ray. Then he jumped to Desur, there interviewing Carfon and being assured of the full cooperation of the porpoise men. Well, that's it, folks, said Seton as he shut off the power. We can't do much more for a few days until the gang gets here for a council of war. How'd it be, Roval, for me to practice with this outfit while you're finishing up the odds and ends you want to clean up? You might suggest to Orlon, too, that it'd be a good deed for him to pilot those folks over here. As Roval wafted himself to the ground from their lofty station, Crane and Margaret appeared and were lifted up to the place formerly occupied by the physicist. How's tricks, Mart? I hear you're quite an astronomer, said Seaton. Yes, thanks to Olaf and the first of psychology. 
He seems quite interested in increasing our earthly knowledge. I certainly know much more than I'd ever hoped to know of anything. Yeah, you could pilot us to the Fenachrone system now without any trouble. You also absorb some ethnology and kindred sciences, I bet. What do you think? With Dunark and Irvine, do you think we'll know enough to go ahead, or should we take a chance on holding things up while we get acquainted with some of the other peoples of these planets in the green system? Delay is dangerous, as our time is already short, Crane replied after a time. We know enough, I believe. And furthermore, any additional assistance is problematical. In fact, it's more than doubtful. The Norlaminians have surveyed the system rather thoroughly, and no other planet seems to have inhabitants who even approach the development attained here. Right, that's pretty much the way I doped it out. Well, we'll wait until the gang assembles, then go over the top. In the meantime, I called you over to take a ride in this projector. It's incredible. I'd like to shoot for the Fenachrone system first. I don't quite dare that, though. Don't dare to? You? scoffed Margaret. Has come. All right, cancel the dare. Change it to prefer not to. Why? Because while they can't work through a zone of force, some of their real scientists, and they have lots of them, not like that bullheaded soldier we captured, may well be able to detect a fifth-order ray even if they can't work with them intelligently. And if they detected our ray, it would put them on guard. You're right, exactly, Dick, agreed Crane. And there speaks the Nordaminian scientist, and not my old reckless playmate, Richard Seaton. Oh, I don't know. I told you I was getting timid as a mouse. But let's not sit here twiddling our thumbs. Let's go places and do things. Where shall we go? I want a destination a good ways off, not something in our own backyard. Let's go back home, of course, stupid, put in Dorothy. Do you have to be told every little thing? Sure, I never thought of that. And Seaton, after a moment's rapid mental arithmetic, swung the great tube around and rapidly adjusted a few dials and stepped down upon a pedal. There was a fleeting instant of unthinkable velocity, and then they found themselves poised somewhere in space. Well, I wonder how far I missed this time on my first shot. Seaton's crisp voice broke the stunned silence. Is that our son over there, to the left, Mart? Yes. You were about right for the distance, and within a few tens of a light year, laterally. That is really close, I should have said. It's rotten for these controls, except for the effect of relative proper motions which I can't calculate yet for lack of data. I should be able to hit a gnat right in the left eye at this range, and the distance and proper motions couldn't have thrown me off more than a few hundred feet. Nah, I was too anxious, and hurried too much on the settings of the slow verniers. I'll snap back and try it again. He adjusted the verniers very carefully and again threw on the power. Again there was a sensation of the barest perceptible moment of unimaginable speed and they were in the air some fifty feet above the ground of Crane Field, almost above the testing shed. Seaton rapidly adjusted the variable speed motors until they were perfectly stationary relative to the surface of the earth. You are improving, commented Crane. Yeah, that's more like it. Guess maybe I can learn in time to shoot this gun. Well, let's go down. They dropped through the roof into the laboratory where 
Maxwell, now in charge of the place, was watching a reaction and occasionally taking notes. Hi, Max. This is Seaton, speaking on the television. Got your range? Exactly, Chief. Uh, apparently I can hear you perfectly, but can't see anything. Maxwell stared about the empty laboratory. You will in a minute. I knew I had you, but didn't want to scare you out of a year's growth. And Seaton thickened the image until they were plainly visible. Please call Mr. Vainman on the phone and tell him you're in touch with us, directed Seaton as soon as greetings had been exchanged. Better yet, after you've broken it to them gently, Dot can talk to them, and then we could go over and see them. The connection established, Dorothy's image floated up to the telephone and apparently spoke. Mother, this is the weirdest thing you ever imagined. We're not actually here at all, you know. We're actually here on Norleman. No, I mean, Dick's just sending a kind of talking picture of us to you to see on Earth. Oh no, I don't know anything about it. It's like a talkie sent by radio, only worse, because I'm saying this myself right now without any rehearsal or anything. We didn't want to burst in on you without warning, because you'd be sure to think you were actually seeing ghosts. And we're not dead the least bit. We're having the most perfectly gorgeous time you ever imagined. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't explain anything, even if I knew anything to explain. We'll all four of us be over there in about a second and tell you about it, okay? Bye. Indeed, it was even less than a second. Mrs. Vainman was still in the act of hanging up the receiver when the image materialized in the living room of Dorothy's girlhood home. Hello, Mom. Hello, Dad. Seaton's voice was cheerful, but matter-of-fact. I'll thicken this up so you can see us better in a minute. But don't think we're flesh and blood. You'll just see simple three-dimensional talking pictures of ourselves, transmitted by radio. For a long time, Mr. and Mrs. Vaidman chatted with the four visitors from so far away in space, while Seaton gloried in the working of that marvelous projector. Well, our time's about up, Seaton finally ended the visit. The quitting whistle's going to blow in about five minutes, and they don't like overtime work here where we are. We'll drop in and see you again, maybe, sometime before we come back. Do you know yet when you're coming back? asked Mrs. Vainman. Not an idea in the world, Mother, any more than we had when we started. But we're getting along fine, having the time of our lives, and learning a lot more besides. So long. And Seaton clicked off the power. As they descended from the projector and walked toward the waiting airboat, Seaton fell in beside Roval. You know, they've got a new cruiser built of de Gaulle and are bringing it over here. De Gaulle's good stuff, but it isn't as good as your purple metal, Innocent, which is the theoretical ultimate in strength possible for any material possessing molecular structure. Why wouldn't it be a sound idea to flash it into Innocent when it gets here? That would be an excellent idea, and we shall do so. It has also occurred to me that Kasler of Mechanism, Astron of Energy, Satrazon of Chemistry, myself, and one or two of the others, should collaborate in installing a very complete fifth-order projector in the new Skylark, as well as any other equipment which may seem desirable. The security of the universe may depend upon the abilities and qualities of young terrestrials, and your vessel, and therefore nothing should be left undone which it is possible for us to do. You chirped something, that old scout. Thanks. 
You might do that while I attend to such preliminaries as wiping out the Fenachrone fleet. In due time, the reinforcements from the other planets arrived, and the mammoth space cruiser attracted attention even before it landed. So enormous was she in comparison with the tiny vessels having her in tow. Resting upon the ground, it seemed absurd that such a structure could possibly move under her own power. For two miles, that enormous mass of metal extended over the countryside, and while it was very narrow for its length, still its fifteen hundred feet of diameter dwarfed anything nearby. But Roval and his aged co-workers smiled happily as they saw it, erected their keyboards, and set to work with a will. Meanwhile, a group had gathered around a conference table, a group such as had never before been seen together upon any world. There was Fodon, the ancient chief of the five of Norlamin, huge-headed with his Leonon mane and flowing beard of white. There were Dunark and Tarnam of Osnome, and Irvon of Irvania, smooth-faced and keen, utterly implacable and ruthless in war. There was Sackner Karfan, 2346, the immense porpoise-like hairless Dasorian. And there were Seton and Crane, the representatives of our own earthly civilization. Seton opened the meeting by handing each man a headset and running a reel showing the plans of the Fenachrone. Not only had he secured them from the captain of the marauding vessel, but also everything the first of psychology had deduced from his own study of that inhuman brain. He then removed the reel and gave them the tentative plans of battle. Headsets removed, he threw the meeting open for discussion, and discussion there was in plenty. Each man had ideas, which were thrown upon the table and studied, for the most part calmly and dispassionately. The conference continued until only one point was left, upon which argument waxed so hot that everyone seemed shouting at once. Order! commanded Seton, banging his fist on the table. Osnome and Arvania wish to strike without warning. Norleman and Desor insist upon a formal declaration of war. Mart, how do we vote? I vote for formal warning, for two reasons. One of which I believe will convince even Dunark. First, because it is the fair thing to do. Which reason is, of course, the one actuating the Norlaminians, but which would not be considered by Osnome, nor even remotely understood by the Fenachrone. Second, I am certain that the Fenachrone will merely be enraged by the warning and will defy us. And then what will they do? You have already said that you have been able to locate only a few of their exploring warships. As soon as we declare war upon them, they will almost certainly send out torpedoes to every one of their ships of war. We can then follow the torpedoes with our rays, and thus will be enabled to find and destroy their vessels. Well, that settles that, declared the chairman, as a shout of agreement arose. We shall now adjourn to the projector and send the warning. I have a ray upon the torpedo, announcing the destruction by us of their vessel and that torpedo will arrive at its destination in less than an hour. It seems to me that we should make our announcement immediately after their ruler has received the news of their first defeat. In the projector, where they were joined by Roval, Orlon, and several others of the various firsts of Norlamin, they flashed out to the flying torpedo, 
and Seaton grinned at Crane as their fifth-order carrier beam went through the far-flung detector screens of the Fenachrone without setting up the slightest reaction. In the wake of that speeding messenger, they flew through a warm, foggy, dense atmosphere, through a receiving trap in the wall of a gigantic conical structure, and on into the telegraph room. They saw the operator remove the spools of tape from the torpedo and attach them to a magnetic sender and heard him speak. Pardon, Majesty. We have just received a first-degree emergency torpedo from flagship Y-427W of Fleet 42 in readiness. Put it on here in the council chamber. If he's broadcasting it, we're in for a spell of hunting, Seaton remarked. Nope, he's putting it on tight beam. That's fine. We can chase it up. And with a narrow detector beam, he traced the invisible transmission beam into the council room. It's funny. This place seems awfully familiar. I swear I've seen it before lots of times. Seems like I've been in here more than once, Seaton remarked puzzled, as he looked through the somber room with its dull painted metal walls covered with charts and maps and screens and speakers and with its low massive furniture. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm familiar with it from studying the brain of that Fenachrone captain. Well, while his nibs is absorbing the bad news, we'll go over this once more. Carfon, you have the biggest voice of any of us who can utter intelligible language. You're to give the speech. You know what to say. When I say go ahead, do your stuff. Now everybody else listen. While he's talking, I've got to have audio waves heterodyne both ways in the circuits, and they'll be able to hear any noise any of us makes. So all of us, except Carfon, want to keep absolutely quiet, no matter what happens or what we see. As soon as he's done, I'll cut off the audio sending and say something to let you all know we're off the air. Got it? One point has occurred to me about handling the warning, boomed Carfon. If it should be delivered from apparently empty air, directed at those we wish to address, it would give the enemy insight into our methods, which might be undesirable. Huh. I never thought of that. Sure would, and it would be undesirable, agreed Seaton. Let's see. We can get away from that by broadcasting it. They have a very complete system of speakers, but no matter how many private band speakers a man may have, he always has one on the general wave, which is used for very important announcements of wide interest. I'll broadcast you on that wave so that every general wave speaker on the planet will be energized. That way it'll look as if we're shooting from a distance. You might talk accordingly. If we have a minute more, there's something I would like to say. Dunark broke the ensuing silence. Here we are, seeing everything that is happening here. Walls, planets, even suns do not mar our vision because of the fifth order carrier wave. I understand that partially, but how can we see anything there? I always thought I knew something about rays, but I see I do not. The light rays must be released or deheterodyned close to the object viewed with nothing opaque to light intervening. They must be then reflected from an object, must be gathered together again, heterodyned upon a fifth-order carrier, and retransmitted back to us, and there is neither receiver nor transmitter at the other end. How can you do all this from our end? 
We don't, Seaton assured him. At the other end, there are all the things you mentioned, and a lot more besides. Our secondary projector out there is composed of forces, visible or invisible as we please. Part of those forces comprise the receiving, viewing, and sending instruments. They're not material, that's true, but they're fully functional nonetheless, and far more efficient than any system of radio, television, or telephone in existence. The Norlaminian scientists have found how to direct and control pure forces without using the cumbersome and hindering material substance. He broke off as the record from the torpedo stopped suddenly, and the operator's voice came through a speaker. General Fenimore, scout ship K-3296, patrolling the detector zone, wishes to give you an urgent emergency report. I told them you were in council with the Emperor, and they instructed me to interrupt no matter how important the council may be. They have on board a survivor of the Y-427W and have captured and killed two men of the same race as those who destroyed our vessel. They say you will want their report without an instant delay. We do, barked the general at a sign from his ruler. Put it on here. Run the rest of the torpedo report immediately afterwards. In the projectors, Eaton stared at Crane a moment, then a light of understanding spread over his features. Duquesne. Of course. I'll bet my hat it can't be anybody else. Terrestrials? This far from home? I can't help feeling sorry for the poor devil. He's a darn good man gone wrong, but we'd have to have had to kill him ourselves before we got done with him. So it's probably just as well that they got him. Pin your ears back, everybody, and watch close. We want to get this. All of it. <laughs>